Welcome to CareCast, CareNet's podcast on family, faith, and life, with me, Vincent DiCaro, CareNet's Chief Outreach Officer, and Rollin Warren, CareNet's President and CEO. In this episode of CareCast, we will be talking about how to engage in effective conversations with pro-choice people, we will explore the idea of financial abortions, and we will clarify CareNet's pro-abundant life perspective and what it really means for the pro-life movement. Well, Happy New Year, Rollin. We're back for another year and another CareCast podcast. Yes, another year, another podcast. Yeah, yeah. I like the ring of that. Yeah, it, it, it sounds nice. And it's a good thing that this is a podcast because after the holidays, you and I both ate probably way too much. And so yes, we're and, not looking our best. Yes, and we do way too much as a result <laughs> of that. That's of right. That. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. We have great bodies for radio or something. I, know. I, I, don't I, know. I lost my hourglass figure <laughs> over, the, over the holiday season. It, so it I, happens. It happens I gotta to the get best get back of us. at it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm sure you will. So mm-hmm. we have a lot to talk about today we here do. at CareCast. Um, one of the things that I would love to just jump into, and th- this is something that, frankly, you've really inspired me around, uh, just in terms of the way you sort of approach this issue, and that's um, you know having having conversations with folks who are pro-choice. Mm-hmm. I think typically, uh, you know, kind of your gut reaction as a pro-life person when you're in a conversation with a pro-choice person is to basically, you know, try to win an argument, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you know, get get that pro-choice person to become pro-life. But you said something uh, last month that I think was was really great, and it was so good that I wrote it down. You said, instead of always trying to get pro-choice people to become pro-life, we should actually just start with getting them to become pro-choice. Yeah. So explain what you mean by that. Yeah, and it's interesting that you make that make that point because we are sort of challenged on winning an argument. And I think uh, what we're called to do really, particularly as Christians, is to try to build a relationship and to build a bridge. And that means you got to have a, some understanding some common ground that you're that you're working from but you know getting getting to your 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 question your point you know I actually came across this perspective some years ago when I was listening to a pro-life person on the radio and I've done this many times and and you know invariably uh, there'll be this call that will come in and the caller will say so you're pro-life yes I'm pro-life and then the person will say well what about all these unwanted kids in the world uh, that kind of a thing, or these mothers that are at risk with unplanned pregnancy, that kind of a thing, and mm-hmm. and, and how and, and what are you doing about that? And right. typically, the pro-life person will say, you know, you know, the things that they've done, you know, maybe they've adopted children, you know, they supported pregnancy centers, a variety of things. So list, they'll kind of go through this long list of things that they've done, and then when they finish. Typically, what's happened is the pro-choice person would say, "Yeah, but there's millions of kids that aren't right, <laughs> that right, being right. served." So it's yeah, kind of like a yeah. red herring question. Sh- sure. Yeah. And so, I, I, as a result of that, I sort of had this epiphany that you know, when you think about someone who is pro-choice, you have to go further than that. You have to say, "Well, if you are pro-choice, what are the ch- actual choices?" Right. And if you think about it, there are basically two choices. On one side, you have abortion, mm-hmm. and the other side, you have birth. Mm-hmm. So the two choices are actually birth and abortion. Right. And and basically, having a pro-choice position means you know basically you're agnostic in terms of which uh, position a woman takes, which choice she makes, and mm-hmm. and may even have the view that both of those ch- those choices are morally equal mm-hmm. or morally right or whatever. Right. As it, long as she has the right to make the choice, exactly. it doesn't matter what choice she makes. Exactly. So you're mm-hmm. having this perspective from conception to birth, which is the conversation that we're talking about, mm-hmm. that as long as the woman has the right to make the choice, I don't care which choice she makes. Right. So I tell people all the time, think about the most horrible situation that you think a woman could be in and 
pregnant. You know, she's a drug addict and she's pregnant or this and she's pregnant. Do you support her being able to bring her child into the world? You know, and mm-hmm. certainly if you're a pro-choice person, you would say, well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if not, then you're actually not pro-choice. Mm-hmm. You're actually pro-abortion. Right. Which right, means right. that you should be deciding who brings kids into the world and who does not. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So I'm going to take it at your word that you're actually pro-choice. Right. That, that's your view. Okay. Yep. So if you have that perspective, then you say, what are the two choices? There's birth and then there's abortion. And what I found was that people who are pro-choice have a view that they want to remove every single obstacle that a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy or a difficult pregnancy and wants to have an abortion. Right. They want to remove all the obstacles. Mm-hmm. So whether it's parental notification, waiting mm-hmm. period, any mm-hmm. of those things, all of those obstacles mm-hmm. should be removed right. no matter what. Okay, you got as, that. That's easy as possible. Easy, for as, po- easy as possible, no consequences in terms of that. Mm-hmm. But if you're truly pro-choice, mm-hmm. then that means also for the woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy, mm-hmm. wants to bring her child into the world, and she is facing obstacles, mm-hmm. you should be just as active mm-hmm. removing those obstacles. Absolutely. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Because right. if you're not, if yeah. you're in a situation where you know, uh, you're only trying to work on one side of the obstacles— you may say it's really a choice, but mm-hmm. not really. It's kind of a maze where mm-hmm. there's kind of a wall there that you can't even go to that side mm-hmm. if you wanted to mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. obstacles. Mm-hmm. So what are the obstacles? Well, it could be the father's not engaged and we need mm-hmm. to do that. She may have a difficult time telling her mother. There may be some financial uh, mm-hmm. issues from conception to birth that she's dealing with, a variety mm-hmm. of different things. And you should be actively working to remove those obstacles mm-hmm. as well if you're truly pro-choice. Mm-hmm, and absolutely. so that's why I say that the first thing you got to do with a person who's pro-choice, instead mm-hmm. of trying to convince them, quote, to be pro-life, mm-hmm. what you really need to be doing is first helping them understand what it truly means yeah. to be pro-choice. Right. To get them truly. to embrace their own worldview that they claim to have. Embrace their own worldview that they, they claim to have. Right. And what I have found, unfortunately, is that for so many folks that the only response to the life side mm-hmm. of the argument, the birth side of the argument, particularly when you're thinking about organizational mm-hmm. uh, people like Planned Parenthood and others, like the advocacy folks, mm-hmm. the only thing that they're really doing from conception to birth we're talking about, mm-hmm. not after birth, conception to birth, mm-hmm. is really going after mm-hmm. and actually attacking the people who are trying to remove the obstacles mm-hmm. for someone who's facing an unplanned pregnancy and wants to bring their child into the world. Again, right. before right. the decision is made, you're, we are on different sides of the page. Mm-hmm. Different mm-hmm. sides of the page. You may not. I, I maybe believe that you know she shouldn't have abortions and those mm-hmm. kinds of things because you know uh, life you know begins at conception and is worthy of protection that kind of thing. And you may have a totally different view. But once she makes that decision right. that she wants to bring the child into the world and she's facing obstacles, mm-hmm. if you're pro-choice, mm-hmm. yeah. You should be exactly on the same side as a person who's pro-life, which means mm-hmm. you have just as much of an obligation to care for her. So mm-hmm. if I was doing that radio interview, my right. first question to that person would be, well, are you pro-choice or are you pro-abortion? And, of course, they'd say, well, I'm, I'm, pro- I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. Yeah. Great. Then my first question would be, before I answer your question, is what are you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> what are you doing yeah. to support those women who are facing an obstacle, unplanned pregnancy, and have obstacles, have barriers to bringing their child into the world, the choice that they want to work make, what have you been doing? Mm-hmm. And it really shifts the conversation so that you have an obligation on both on yeah. both sides. Yeah, and I think what this also does is uh, it actually creates an opening for the work of pregnancy centers. Absolutely. And, you know, in fact, there was a blog post that we did on our Abundant Life blog not too long ago called The Pro-Choice Case for Pregnancy Centers, mm-hmm. where we basically made this, this argument that, that you're talking about. Um, and you actually had a conversation with someone 
recently who was a you know self self proclaimed pro choice person. Yes. But when you kind of laid this all out for him and then started talking about what CareNet does through its pregnancy centers, he was actually quite interested in even considering maybe supporting yes. uh, what we do around that. And so that's just a, I mean, yeah, talk about a, an amazing victory, right? Well, it was an amazing it was an amazing thing. I mean, it was yeah. a guy who you know had, had had been connected to Planned Parenthood in some way, had mm-hmm. had family members that were connected to Planned Parenthood. And I took him through basically the same argument, mm-hmm. and he stayed in the conversation. It wasn't conflict. There were no fists thrown or <laughs> right. things. Plates were thrown. No one was trying to kind of yes. win uh, win an argument or no. win a fight. No. Like you said at the at the top, you were you are a Christian who was working to build a relationship Absolutely. with someone. Yeah. And we walked down the elevator together. I mean, yeah. it was it really was a situation where we built a relationship. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting because it, this actually leads to another point because mm-hmm. from time to time people will say, "Well, can't there be some common ground between the pro-choice people and the pro-life people?" It's sort of that, mm-hmm. you know, perpetual Rodney King, can't we all just get along right. in some way shape or form, right? right? Right. And you know, it's interesting. I thought about that because in a way there is an overlap. Let, let's say, Vince, that you eat meat and you eat vegetables, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I only eat vegetables. Mm-hmm. That's all I can do. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a meal together, mm-hmm, right? Right. Which table do we meet at? At the vegetable table. Right. We, we can't meet at the meat table right. when you say to me, listen, just eat a little bit of meat. Right. right. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right, right. We have to meet at the vegetable table. See, because if I meet you at the meat table, it costs me everything and costs you nothing. Right. You see? Absolutely. But if we meet at the vegetable table, we both... Mm-hmm. are on equal footing. Mm-hmm. Well, that same kind of thing comes into play when people say, well, pro-life versus pro-choice. Well, if you think about it, kind of what I said, well, there's two sides of the pro-choice argument. Should be. Mm-hmm. One is abortion and one is birth. Mm-hmm. My right. side argument is like a, like sort of a circle with two halves. One side you've got birth and the other side that you have you have abortion. Mm-hmm. Yep. My circle just has one thing in it, mm-hmm. which is birth. Yeah, when you're pro-life, your circle basically just have it's a it's one circle, no division. The in circle it. of life. Yes, yeah, the circle of life. I had, That's I had right. to go there. Yeah, it's to perfect. Us. Hakuna Matata, or and something. also with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so if you're thinking about it, like going back to math, and you were trying to create a Venn diagram, where you yeah. take these two circles and you overlap them. Where would you overlap them? On the birth side. Exactly. Yeah. That's the common ground. So the common ground is not can abortion be safe, legal, and rare mm-hmm. right, person right. as a pro-life person yeah. because that costs you nothing and costs me everything. Mm-hmm. The common ground actually is where someone is facing an unplanned pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there are obstacles to that unplanned pregnancy when they want to bring their child into the world. Right. And pro-life people and pro-choice people should be working just as vigorously mm-hmm. To support that that woman and that man that are in that particular situation, that yeah. actually is the common ground, and that's what I found with the with the gentleman that I was talking to. Yeah, that's that's just great, and I think uh, you know just to I, I sort of, I guess generalize yeah uh, this uh, again for a moment. Um, it's just you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat what you said because I just thought it was such a, a word of wisdom that I think people would, should really get, which is instead of getting pro-choice people to become pro-life, first get them to become pro-choice. Yeah, and so kind of you know. Start there. Yeah. Start start there with getting them to truly embrace their worldview. And then as, you, as you've argued and as you've laid out and as we've blogged about um, at care-net.org, um, there actually is a pro-choice case for the work of pregnancy centers, which is what, what CareNet does. And so yeah. and, it's well, a win-win. Absolutely. There's one other thing to even think about. to give you just another visual image. Yeah. Right? If you had a Petri disc, right, a little dish that scientists use and they put things in there that grow. Mm-hmm. And on one side you have something that is growing that's alive. And on another side you have something that's not growing. Let's say rocks. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So you've got basically life and then you have something that's essentially dead, right. not growing. Sure. And you put those two things together. Mm-hmm. Well, what would happen over time? 
the life would overtake the dead matter. Exactly. And see, that's the reason why helping people understand this, because in their heads, sort of like a sort of an intellectual Petri dish, Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. where you've got life on one side and you have death on the other side, Mm -hmm. abortion on one side and life on the other. Mm -hmm. And I think if you truly get people to understand that, the life part of what they're doing will overtake Mm -hmm. the other part. And in fact, people who were once pro-choice who become Mm pro-life— Mm-hmm. That's what happens. They'll right. see something. It'll be an abortion doctor who's doing abortion, and then all of a sudden, the the, the life part, mm-hmm. right, kind of kicks in, so kicks to speak. in, and begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and yeah. overtake that. And it's really beautiful because what does Scripture say in Deuteronomy? It says, "I set before you what life mm-hmm. and death. Absolutely, choose life. In other words, mm-hmm. let the life part." Mm-hmm overtake the death part. And I really believe as we have these conversations with people and build relationships with people, Mm -hmm. we'll have an ability to water that life side so that it grows Mm -hmm. and grows and grows and grows. And that's Mm -hmm. really what I think God calls us to do. Indeed, he he does. Um, You know, another uh, thing that we've actually had on our list for a little while, and we were just kind of waiting for the right opportunity to Mm -hmm. talk about it. And I think think it's now. And I think it is now. It is at at this exact moment that we could talk about this because it kind of relates to this first part of our conversation here. Um, and this is the notion of financial abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who haven't heard this this term before, it's essentially this notion that men uh, or father, fathers-to-be mm-hmm. uh, should have the legal right to essentially cut off or, you know, quote, abort all of their rights and responsibilities around an unborn child that they do not want to have, yes. right? So a woman can have an actual physical abortion. Mm-hmm. So a man should, in some people's viewpoint, have the ability to have a financial abortion. I don't want this child. Um, I should be able to, quote, abort it, which in their case means I shouldn't have to pay child support. I shouldn't have to, you know, have any responsibility for this child whatsoever. Um, And the way it kind of relates to the first part of our conversation is if if you think about it again, from a – if pro-choice logic were to kind of truly prevail and Mm -hmm. somebody was to truly embrace their pro-choice logic – they would actually have to be in favor of men having, quote, financial abortions. Yes, absolutely. Um, because the, pro, the the core of the pro-choice argument is basically that – or a, a, a core pro-choice argument is that women should not be forced to become parents yep. when they're not ready to become parents. Absolutely. So if women shouldn't be forced to become parents when they're not ready, then shouldn't it follow logically that men should also not be forced to become parents when they're not ready? Absolutely. Right? So a man, therefore, in pro-choice logic should be able to, quote, have this financial abortion. Yeah, I, that, that <laughs> seems like that logic yeah. is sound. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard, hard to. to <laughs> it's hard to do that because the premise yeah. is is that no one should be forced to become a parent before they're ready. Right. And the guy can say, "Look, I took protection. I did this. I whatever it was mm-hmm. that needed to be done to avoid the pregnancy. I articulated prior to the deed mm-hmm. that I didn't want to become a father in any way, shape, or form. And the person agreed. The woman agreed that you know that that yep. that she understood that yep. I didn't want to become all the all the protections yeah. mechanisms that you could possibly right. have. And yep. yet." There still, you know, was a pregnancy in mm-hmm. that situation. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, mm-hmm. the guy basically saying, "My intent mm-hmm. <laughs> before, during, and after mm-hmm. was never to become a father." And why should you, mm-hmm. the woman, be the only one who has the ability to avoid parenthood? Mm-hmm. 
when you don't want to become a parent, but I am obligated mm-hmm. to become a parent. No, you can you can basically force me mm-hmm. to become a father, right. and that's one of the things we see on our Facebook page often. People mm-hmm. say, you know, well, your position, you're just trying to force women into motherhood, mm-hmm. that right. kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. it just seems to me that uh, mm-hmm. that argument, if, if that's the argument that you're making, right, right, right. Then uh, I think it's what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Uh, exactly. I think one of those is a male and a female, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. I don't know. I think the goose well. is the. I believe the goose is the female and the gander is the male. Yeah, I, yeah I'm not sure. Someone yeah. will write us. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll get a, several. We'll get fan mail or hate mail about or, that. Yeah, 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 probably from the geese community because you know they're very, very active online. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they flock to us. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> uh, separate us. I, I should have thought about that one. Well, but yeah, they, yeah, I've been hanging around you too long. I like anyway, it. But, I like it though. But yeah, yeah but you, I mean, that's basically the argument. Right. And it's a pretty hard one for you to to. Uh, yeah, dispute. logically to get away from. But yet, I think if you ask most pro-choice people, do you think men should have the ability to? do this and they would probably say no exactly um and so you know again it's just kind of an inconsistency in there in, in yeah. pro-choice uh the pro-choice logic the pro-choice uh mentality um but it's also it's it's important to point out here that pro-life people actually don't have this problem nope not at all um because we we're, we're we have a kind of a consistency in our in our worldview uh, yes our goose and our gander <laughs> the geese and they're all in the same pen right because in our in our right exactly yes. in our i'm still trying to think of a pun to top your flock one but what uh, it, yeah eventually we'll get to it but um but we don't have this problem because you know there's this consistency around our worldview around the sanctity of life yes. the sanctity of marriage and the family as god designed it mm-hmm. so motherhood fatherhood uh you know pregnancy sex within the context of marriage, those mm. things are all linked together. And so from our standpoint, because life begins at conception and is worthy of protection, fatherhood and motherhood both begin at the point of conception. Absolutely. And therefore, both the mother and the father have rights and responsibilities from the moment of conception that you just can't sign away. Exactly. And the child does. Right. And one of the and obviously the key right and responsibility mm-hmm. is life. I mean mm-hmm. right that they have rather mm-hmm. is life. Right. So there are, there are not just two players here, the mm-hmm. guy and the woman. Mm-hmm. There's the guy, the woman, and the child at the That's point right. of conception. There's a new life that has agency and a right to life, so to speak, in terms of that, which is obviously a big part of the way the movement was started mm-hmm. and a narrative that we have. So we mm-hmm. don't run into that mm-hmm. logical uh, and practical mm-hmm. uh, inconsistency. And I would just say one other thing. You know, having spent years, and you, you as well, working mm-hmm. on the fatherhood issue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though men legally cannot do what we just talked about, mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is that mentality is still in a guy's head. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. If you are a guy who truly did not want to become a father mm-hmm. and you said, I don't want to become a father and you are, quote, forced into this mm-hmm. in that in that context mm-hmm. and you have well, basically a pro-choice worldview, which mm-hmm. you do, mm-hmm. then when that child does come into the world mm-hmm. – what we find more often than not mm-hmm. is that guys basically do that. Right. They 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 leave. They they leave. They physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, financially, financially dis mm-hmm. disconnect, mm-hmm. and it's very very damaging mm-hmm. to the child. Yep. Frankly, it's very damaging to the woman, and and ultimately, mm-hmm. which we've seen in stories where you know guys can be prodigal fathers and then come to their senses mm-hmm. and kind of head back home. Right. You know, it, it's damaging to oh, them absolutely. as well. So yeah. it's a lose 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 type of yeah. scenario. But that mentality is out yeah. there yeah. that from the abortion kind of conversation sure. that actually 
kind of gives life to a whole perspective around father absence. As you know, there's 25 million kids growing up at home without their dads. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, yeah, I mean, again, to put the kind of some context and scope to this, this isn't just an isolated thing that happens every once in a while. One out of every three children in our country lives apart from their biological father. And of those children, we know from research that about half of them, or actually I'd say actually about a third of them, have absolutely no contact with their fathers whatsoever. Yes. Another third limited contact once a month or less and then another third once a, you know more than once per month. Yes. So the amount of contact between children and their absent biological yes. fathers is fairly minimal. So this is a, a serious and huge yes. problem and and I think we would both argue that it's it's part of it's partly a consequence of the kind of pro-choice abortion culture that we've built in this yes. country over the last 40 years. Absolutely. It's a world view. Mm-hmm. It's a world view. Mm-hmm. That has that has a physical reality to it in terms of father absence. These things are linked together. Yeah. They're actually linked together, and yeah. that's why, as you've seen, the number of abortions increase. Right, right, We've right. also seen the number of father absence, single mother homes. All those things have been increasing simultaneously yeah. because mm-hmm. men are, in many ways, aborting their children yeah. after they're born. That's right. In a sense, that's absolutely in a very, right. very practical and real sense. And that's why, from yeah. our standpoint, we want to challenge that worldview absolutely. and encourage everyone to have a pro-life yeah. worldview in terms of this context, yeah. and even and, a pro-abundant <laughs> life worldview, which we're going to get to next. Right, right. And I was one last note about actually two last quick notes about that Uh, i remember back when you and i were at national fatherhood initiative we actually had some people approaching us who thought that because we were fatherhood advocates that we would actually be in favor of this notion of men having the legal right to financially abort their children and i think they were a little bit surprised when they found out that we were not in favor of that they were (laughs) i lost lost a friend over that actually yeah Yeah, i did i really did wow yeah that's pretty serious it wasn't me was it no no okay good Uh, (laughs) i've been trying to lose you for years you just just keep on showing up yeah Yeah. you're like gum on the back of a shoe just kind of stay i know birds of a feather flock together um, to bring it back to the geese thing got to but one more one more line here i wanted to read this line i had it i had it written down here um just around this notion of well you know some people might say well you know are are are, is that really what pro-choice people are saying that women shouldn't be quote forced to become mothers but there was a story actually on lifenews.com where an act the actress amy brenneman uh where she had uh talked about her the abortion that she said that she had and she says I was grateful that I lived in a country where forced birth was not the law of the land and where motherhood was not a lifelong consequence for a contraception slip. So just flip it. Mm -hmm. Let's say that that was an an actor. Yes. And he said, I was grateful that I lived in a country where forced birth was not the law of the land and where fatherhood was not a lifelong consequence for a contraception slip. I I think a lot of people, most people, 90% of people, I don't know, would have a real problem with a guy saying that. Yeah. Wow. Interesting, right? Yeah. Again, truly embracing pro-choice logic gets you into places where you have to support things that you probably actually really don't support. Yep. And it always puts the most vulnerable at risk. And obviously kids in the womb mm-hmm. who are – not that women aren't vulnerable. They are yeah. to some degree. But no yeah. question that yeah. kids are even more vulnerable. Yeah, unborn children. Womb. Absolutely. And then also the most vulnerable outside the womb, mm-hmm. which again mm-hmm. – is children again. Yep. So when you embrace that perspective, mm-hmm. it always puts the most vulnerable at risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. So last thing we wanted to just touch on today a little bit, and we, we've been, so Karen has been talking for, I, it's been at least, I don't know, a year or two now. Yes. Uh, about our pro-abundant life mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. And so we've certainly gotten 
mostly extremely positive feedback about yeah, yeah. what we've embraced here uh, along this pro-abundant life worldview. Uh, but we certainly had some people ask some questions about yeah, it yeah. Uh, and, you know, kind of challenge us, I, I, I suppose, to a certain extent around what exactly are we trying to do with this whole pro-abundant life thing. Um, and I think that probably if you just kind of read between the lines and kind of get to what most of this criticism is really around is uh, this idea that are we trying to kind of throw the the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. and kind of you know dismiss everything that the pro-life movement has been able to accomplish. Are we are we basically trying to replace replace the pro-life movement yeah, yeah. with some other movement, something different? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really the core of our response back to that is that no, we're not trying to replace the pro-life movement. We're right. simply trying to enhance and expand and build upon yeah. all the incredible work that the pro-life movement has done over the last forty plus years with this pro-abundant life worldview, and it's it's really around focusing on these core issues that are really direct, uh, you know, direct contributors to abortion and abortion culture. So yeah, it, it really is. It, mm-hmm. it, it's you know, it's really this notion of you know uh, making sure that no matter how good of the work we is, that we're not just focused on the what is happening, like what can we do to to mm-hmm. make sure that a child is not at risk for abortion, but asking. And answering the second question, why is the child at risk mm-hmm. for abortion? And right. when you unpack all that, yeah. which brings you to the pro-abundant life narrative, it's really tied in, in many, many ways to what's happened around family structure, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. delinking of fatherhood, motherhood, sex, and marriage in our culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that even if someone brings a child into the world, mm-hmm. but they have a, a situation where those things are delinked in their mind, mm-hmm. then they're much more likely to be facing another unplanned pregnancy and always then at risk mm-hmm. uh, to, for abortion. But also, that child that's brought into the world has to have a worldview. And that worldview hopefully was shaped by that parent who even even if they were in a situation where they're dealing fatherhood, motherhood, sex, and marriage that led to you know, an unplanned pregnancy, mm-hmm. that they're not articulating those mm-hmm. same values mm-hmm. back to the child. So mm-hmm. the child then becomes sort of a client of one of our pregnancy centers a- as well. So mm-hmm. right. it's really this notion of mm-hmm. you know, it's not just about – uh, saving a baby. It's mm-hmm. also about raising a child. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. also about what does abundant life look like to a child. Mm-hmm. And, and really what we're trying mm-hmm. to say is, you know, certainly, you know, a, a doctor can can de- deliver a baby and give the child life in, mm-hmm. in a medical sense, you mm-hmm. know. But the doctor also could take that life away. You remember the abortion doctor, Kermit Gosnell, mm-hmm. he gave children life and and then he, you know, he, he, he you know, basically stamped killed the child. Yep. He just stamped it out. Or the doctor can deliver the baby and hand the child to a single mom. Now, mm-hmm. I grew up in the single mother home. Mm-hmm. I know uh, firsthand um, how difficult that is for mothers and for their children. Mm-hmm. And really, from my standpoint, you have to ask the question, I mean, in God's design, was that really God's design? Is that what really God's best for mothers and children? Is it life affirming? No question about that. Mm-hmm. But the question is, is it really God's best? Is that what God hopes for? Is it abundant? Life exactly. Right. Is it abundant life? Mm-hmm. Or you can, the doctor can deliver the baby and hand the child to a father and mother united in marriage, mm-hmm. you know, loving each other, loving their child, and mm-hmm. ideally loving God. Mm-hmm. And our view, which is not just our view, it's actually in Scripture mm-hmm. when you think about it, because what we're mm-hmm. talking about there is actually what happened for Christ. Yep, absolutely. You know, and I tell people often, you know, Christ could have come into the world via a single mother. It would have accomplished God's purpose. Mm-hmm. Right to bring a savior into the world, but it would have violated a principle, a design for how children come into the world. Mm-hmm. So God found this perfect container, which is reflected in the story of Mary and Joseph. Mm-hmm. Found this perfect cont- container, 
Mary and Joseph, you know, in this covenant relationship, this this essential, essentially a marriage. Right. Basically, that's why he was going to divorce. The pre-marriage, right. Exactly, without being yep. consummated. Betrothed. Yeah. Exactly. That consummated, it basically it hadn't been consummated at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. This perfect container, mm-hmm. right, that affirmed, that affirmed mm-hmm. the centrality of marriage and family, the centrality of uh, not just manhood and womanhood, but mm-hmm. also fatherhood and motherhood and mm-hmm. wifehood and husbandhood. Right. All those things came mm-hmm. together yeah. and God found this perfect container. And that's the container that Jesus came into the that's world right. in. And so from our view, mm-hmm. certainly from a vision perspective, mm-hmm. if, if that was what was, was abundant life for Christ, right, mm-hmm. who became mm-hmm. abundant life for us all, mm-hmm. should we not, mm-hmm. as a vision mm-hmm. for our movement, mm-hmm. right, be trying to strive towards that as much as possible. And right. when we can't do it physically, we certainly need to be doing it rhetorically in terms mm-hmm. of c- communicating that message and programmatically in terms of how we do the services that we do at our pregnancy centers and through the pregnancy decision line and various other places. A- absolutely. And, and there's two, you know, two stats that I always kind of that come to mind when I'm talking about this. One is that 86% of all abortions are among unmarried yep. women. So kind of how can you not be talking about the importance of marriage when you're in the ending abortion business, right? Absolutely. Um, and the other the other statistic I talk about is that there's been about one million abortions per year every year yeah. for many, many, many years. Now, clearly the work of the pro-life movement, I would argue, has there would probably be a, probably be a lot more mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the incredible heroic work of the pro-life movement over the last several decades. Um, but the reality is that there's still about a million a year. Yep. Um, and it's been that way for, for too long. Um, yeah. And so how do we really make it a significant dent in that number. And how do we do that talking to a population of people? This We're kind of in the post-ultrasound generation. Right. People have seen ultrasounds. They know it's a life. They, they've seen it. They, they've seen it's a fully formed baby moving around in there. Um, yet people are still having abortions. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do you reduce that one million number among a population of people who already know that it's a life? What are, mm-hmm. the, what are the other things that you have to start talking about? Right. Um, in order to really penetrate there. Um, and I think clearly what we've talked about really for the last, you know, 20 plus minutes in this podcast, um, marriage, family, fatherhood, et cetera. These are all the things that we have to yeah. we have to be covering. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it really is it really is thinking about the life issue as not just one issue, but basically two. Mm-hmm. And abortion in, in particular. It's not just a, an mm-hmm. assault on one thing, but an assault on two. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, you know, we shouldn't object to abortion just because it's an, an assault on the sanctity of life, mm-hmm. which, of course, it is. Mm-hmm. But it's also an assault on the sanctity of marriage and family as God designed. Big time. Yeah. Right. And when you look at that story of Mary and Joseph mm-hmm. and you look at how the angels spoke to Joseph and said, the first thing the angels said to Joseph was not, hey, listen, Mary's carrying the Christ child. Make sure you protect her because she's got the Christ child, which in my humanity, that's where I would have started. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you want to. What did, the, what did the angel do? The first thing the angel said to Joseph was, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Mm-hmm. So affirming the sanctity of marriage and family of God designed first, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. he was told who Christ was, which was affirming the sanctity of life. Absolutely. So we have those two things together, but there is an order to them in mm-hmm. Scripture, mm-hmm. and it makes sense. God created the basket for the child mm-hmm. before he created the child, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so... Our view is that in in the work that we're doing, we should be doing the same thing. And that, in essence, is the pro-abundant life 
mm-hmm. uh, worldview. It's not less than. It's talking about this in a full context, mm-hmm. reflecting on and, and, and basically modeling what happened with the birth of Christ, which from Mary and Joseph's perspective was mm-hmm. unplanned. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect, perfect model for what we should be doing. And that's why we're so excited about this and why mm-hmm. so many other people have been so excited about how we're talking about the issue and, and what we're doing programmatically in yeah. order to address it in that context. Yeah. And if folks go to care-net.org slash abundant, mm-hmm. you can read all about what we're talking about when we say pro-abundant life. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Great. Well, I think that does it for this yes. episode of CareCast. Yes. We got through. There was, I think, only two bad puns throughout the I think so. Yeah. Well, all the geese were plucked. <laughs> That's right. So now, In the three, pro- now there's three. There's three. There, well, there. It's a completeness, right? Yeah, we, we, a we trinity of puns. A trinity of puns. Must. We look for that. It's a must. It's so, a must. Yeah. yeah, no, we're uh, we're excited. So what we're going to actually do for our next episode of yeah. CareCast is we're going to do a uh, user-generated topics. Ooh. So I want folks well, that's to... Scary. Yeah. I want folks to actually head to our Facebook page. You can just find us on Facebook by searching CareNet. Two words, care, space, net. Um, get onto our Facebook page. We'll put the link also uh, in this podcast, um, in the description of this podcast, so you can get there. And we want, act- we want folks to submit topics and questions that they would like for us to talk about mm-hmm. in the next episode of CareCast. And we'll pick a couple of those and spend some time talking through those. So that's what we're going to do next time. Yeah, that'd be exciting. No fashion topics, because I'm not really good at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a nice sweater that you're wearing today. Yeah. I wish folks could see it, but yeah. alas, that's what happens when you uh, do a podcast. Yes, but It is a sweater made for radio. <laughs> right, right, right. But in your life chat, so that's where they can... That's, yes. That was a plug for life chats right there. Right. I they, was wearing this sweater, actually. <laughs> you pro- I think you were. Yeah. yeah. So it's your favorite life chat sweater. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. it even says life chat on the back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like your name, like on your jersey. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, thank yeah. you so much for, for listening. Until next time, may God bless you daily as you serve him faithfully.